Scripture this morning is uh, from 2 Samuel, chapter 19, uh, end of verse nine, 8 is when we're starting. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home, and all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so, they, so that they sent word to the king, Return, both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Let's pray. Uh, Father, your word is precious. We love it. We are grateful that we have it to, to teach us and to remind us of our failings and to draw us closer to you and understanding of how much you love and care for us. Father, thank you for calling us as your people, that we belong to you. Thank you that your word teaches us this morning. May your spirit dwell within us and, and convict us and change us. And we give you the thanks and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, good morning, everybody. It's good to get back together as a church family to worship God, to hear His Word. Um, this passage, as always, as we work through books of the Bible, as we work through chapters, as we work through sections, we're not able to touch, touch on every single aspect that's within that chapter. And so my encouragement to you is that if you get a chance this week, take, take this section in, in 2 Samuel 19 and read through it over and over and over again, and you start to see little things, start asking yourself questions, what does this mean, or who is this, and when does this happen, start digging into it more deeply, and it's amazing how the Word of God starts to come alive to you, and in this case, this passage, this morning, it centers around two things, reconciliation and blessings, and reconciliation is the change of a relationship from hostility to peace. So in the case of David and Israel, obviously, if Israel tried to kill David, there's a little bit of hostility between them. And reconciliation needs to happen now between the king and the people. Well, to be blessed is to have a word of praise or good declared over you. For example, the high priestly prayer a blessing that we hear at the end of every single service that we do here. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. All those things is a blessing of the goodness and the power of God that he declares to us as his people. And so in 2 Samuel 19, David has been restored to the throne of Israel, but the people of Israel are still alienated uh, from him as their king. And so there's a need for reconciliation. The question is, is how is that going to happen? And how it does happen, actually, within the chapter, tells us a lot about David himself. And you're going to hear this theme over and over again, so I'm giving you a hint. The whole point of this passage is that David is a good and gracious king. Guess guess what song we're going to sing at the end of the day? Good and gracious king. And so, I broke the cardinal rule of uh, points when it comes to sermons, and there's like nine points. You're not going to remember them all, but each one of those points, hopefully, like you're not going to remember them word for word, but they, they correspond to each section within this, this chapter. And so hopefully it'll come to mind and go, okay, what was really being said here? What is this passage all about? And so the first attempt at reconciliation. So each one of these four sections are about reconciliation. The first attempt at reconciliation is actually found in the response of the people of Israel, but it's, it's useless. It's a useless attempt because it's a reconciliation that is centered around themselves, not around David. So this is what I would call a self-reconciliation or a better way to describe it, maybe say, maybe to say it's a selfish reconciliation. After Absalom's death, those of Israel who are still alive, they all fled to their own homes. But there's still a major issue that the battle did not resolve. Though Israel knew that David was the one who defeated their long-term, uh, long-time enemy, the Philistines, Though he led them for years, they had anointed Absalom as the king, their king, over them. So David, yeah, we know he did all these things, but we put Absalom in charge of us. But Absalom's dead, and David is now restored to the throne. What are we going to do now? You can hear the the, the fear in their words, Their, their response to this situation is a question. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So the, the, this is the main point of their arguments amongst themselves. The people, the elders have gotten together and they're arguing. It seems like there was a division amongst them about those who did want to bring David back and those who did not want to bring David da- back. And there's no indication that either side really understood the depth of their rebellion against him or that they really wanted David back, it seems simply because, hey, we need a king. Absalom's dead. Hey, David, you want the job back? Is this really true repentance? Do they really desire reconciliation with David or are they simply looking for looking out for their own self-interest we have no one to lead us well let's just ask David if he'll do it again but they're arguing 
And everybody knows when you get a group of people together, they always make a decision very, very quickly. No, no. Israel is just like every church. You have a major decision that you have to make. Well, you got to argue about it, and then you got to create a subcommittee, and then they have to study it for six months and then bring it back, and then somebody says, well, did you look at this? And then they have to go for another six months. It's, it's a mess, right? Well, this is what Israel is doing. They're arguing amongst themselves. What do we do? What do we do? What do we I don't know. Have you thought about this? Well, what about David? Well, let's bring David back. There's just this constant back and forth, but do they truly desire true reconciliation with David? Now, contrast that then to David's response to Judah. So Israel is arguing, and then David sends a message to Judah. Now remember, it's important for us to remember that the tribe of Judah, David's home tribe, is far from innocent. They did not sit out the battle. They were as much a part of the rebellion against David as the rest of Israel. And yet, when David hears of Israel's arguing, do we bring him back, do we not? He makes the effort to actually contact Judah himself. He says in verse 12, Why should you, my own tribe, my bone and my flesh, be the last to bring the king back? In other words, he's saying, why don't you invite me back? You, my family, invite me. Be the first ones to invite me back. And to prove that he's serious about restoring his relationship with them, he approaches Amasa, a member of the tribe of Judah, but also the commander of the army that's against him. So he's not this innocent man. And he offers Amasa to be the commander of his army above Joab. Okay, there's going to be a conflict there in the future. That's, that's, that's your foreshadowing between Joab and David and Amasa. Okay, but he says, be the commander of my army. He wants to show them how serious he is about restoring his relationship with them. He takes the initiative of reconciliation with his people. And he says, why don't you meet me at Gilgal? Now, we could look over that statement itself. In fact, I did multiple times until I actually looked at a commentary and I was like, oh, there's a reason he picks the, the area of, of Gilgal. It's an important place in Israel's history. Gilgal is where Joshua, when Israel left Egypt and they're just about ready to enter the promised land, Joshua gathered all the people together at Gilgal and renewed their covenant with the Lord before moving into the promised land and conquering Jericho and moving on into all the other, the other areas. This is in Joshua chapter 5. David's desire to meet Judah at Gilgal is his way of saying to them, renew your covenant with me. Renew your covenant with me. Just as Joshua's renewal, and this is from Joshua chapter 5, it says it rolled away the reproach of Israel from the people of Israel, or reproach of Egypt away from the people of Israel. So David is telling Judah, your reproach, your anger, your rebellion against me is going to be rolled away 
should you renew your covenant with me as your king. In other words, he's going to remove their sin as far as the east is from the west. Tell me you can't see some little connections there. These people, Israel, Judah, they are his enemies. They're his enemies. They went to war in order to remove him from the throne. They went to war to kill him. It wasn't like, well, we just want to punish him. No, we want him dead. And yet David shows them grace and mercy, not because they deserve it. In fact, they deserve the opposite. He does it, and he shows them grace and mercy because he is a good and gracious king. David's actions with Judah then set this precedent for actually how he's going to respond to those who desire reconciliation through repentance. And even those who may not fully repent, and that's where the next section comes, Shimei. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read 2 Samuel 19, verses 16 through 23. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, Benjaminite from Bahurim hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my Lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong in the day of my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my Lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, what have, I do, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shemei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. Now, if we remember who Shemei was, He was the man, as David was fleeing from Absalom, leaving Jerusalem, Shimei was hurling curses at David, cursing him, the Lord's anointed, and then picked up stones and was literally hurling stones at David and his men. And at that time, the same man said, I need to kill him. No, I need to cut his head off, I think is actually how it is said. And David says the same thing. Who are you to tell me to do that? Maybe God told him to curse me. Remember, if we remember right, David placed his life in God's hands at that moment. Well, now he's coming back to Jerusalem. And who's the first one to show up? Shimei. Now, if we're looking for anyone who despised and hated David, Shimei is your man. But now that Absalom is dead, 
and David is returning to Jerusalem, it kind of puts Shimei in a precarious position, does it not? As a vocal and public enemy of David's, his life is on the line. David would be right. In fact, God's law is in David's favor to put Shimei to death for his treason. But he willingly hears Shimei's confession of his sin and his plea for mercy. Now, the question has to be asked, are his confession and plea honest and true? Well, we're not told. We're not told whether he was right, his heart was right or not, but at the end of his life, David, so at the end of David's life, he tells Solomon, his son, to remember Shimei's betrayal and treason and says, do with him as your wisdom tells you. Do with him as you please, but be right and godly in what you're doing. And so Solomon shows him the same mercy as David. He tells Shimei, this is later, he tells Shimei, okay, you can be forgiven. Nothing bad will happen to you as long as you stay in Jerusalem. But the moment you step outside Jerusalem, your life will be forfeit. And Shimei says, you were wise, you were merciful, you were gracious king. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then a few years later, he took that mercy lightly and left Jerusalem on a pretty innocent errand. And when he returned, his life was taken from him. So in the end, in the end, his reconciliation with the king was not really true. He took it for granted and he took it lightly. But in this case, 2 Samuel 19, to come back to this chapter, David had enough killing, and so he shows Shimei mercy and grace, even though in the end it seems that Shimei's repentance was really a half-repentance, a desire to save his own life, not a desire to honor the anointed king of the Lord. The danger of such a non-repentance or a half-repentance with God's anointed is that in the end it leads not to life, but it leads to death. Now all of this, then, is in contrast. I love these names. Mephibosheth. I keep telling Timothy, that's his new nickname. So if you're in youth group, just start calling him Mephibi or something. That would be kind of like that. Mephibosheth. All right, so we're going to read 24 through 30. That was totally for free, and so ignore me. All right, we're going to start in verse 24 and go through 30. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. If we remember, his, his feet were lame. He couldn't walk. I lost my place here. 27. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But the lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore whatever seems good to you. 
For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided, you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come home safely. Now, as David was fleeing Jerusalem, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, came to David alone. Ziba claimed that Mephibosheth was on Absalom's side. And you can read, that's a few chapters back. You can read through that story. And so because of this, this, what Ziba said, David gave all of Mephibosheth's land to Ziba. But now that David is returning, Mephibosheth approaches disheveled and unkept. He's been mourning since David's since David has left. And according to his own count, he's neither bathed nor washed his clothes since David fled. And in that moment, when David fled, Ziba had taken opportunity to turn against Mephibosheth. Now apparently, Mephibosheth wanted to flee with David, and when he commanded Ziba to, to prepare a donkey for him because he was lame in his feet, Ziba took the donkey for himself and left Mephibosheth behind. Now, is this true? Which, which part of the story is true? Did Mephibosheth rebel against David or did Ziba rebel against Mephibosheth? And I know you, this is your favorite part of every single sermon. We're not told. We don't know. We don't know. But what we, we do know is that David doesn't bother to work that out. Instead, he just speaks a compromise. The land would be divided between Ziba and Mephibosheth. But instead of protesting, and this is where Mephibosheth's heart is revealed, he tells David, oh, just give the land, give the land to Ziba. I don't care about that. I don't care about that. He's just happy that David, the Lord's anointed king, is back in Jerusalem safely. And the result of such a full and true repentance is not land or honor, but the presence of the king himself. For remember, when David brought Mephibosheth in, remember Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son or Saul's grandson. Remember Saul who tried to kill David? He's the last living descendant of Jonathan. And David brought him in and said, basically says, you, you are my brother and I'm going to take care of you. You will always eat at my table. You will always be a part of my family. Well, now that David is restored to Jerusalem, Mephibosheth is once again a part of the household of David, and he's eating at the table of the king. He's been restored. And so David shows mercy and grace to a very vocal enemy and to one who seems like an enemy but really wasn't. And so how is he going to respond to those who are truly faithful to him. Now, this is the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 31, almost to the end of the chapter, verse 40. Now, Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Regalim, and he, he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. That's, that, that's what the Bible says, not what I say. 
He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still to live? Again, that's what the Bible says, not me. That I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him go over with my lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you desire of me I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. The king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. All the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. So Barzillai, the Gileadite, was one of the men who supported and provided for David when he was at Mahanaim. Now Mahanaim, remember, is that stronghold that when he fled from Absalom, he goes to Mahanaim and he digs in and he raises an army there in order to, to fight Absalom. Well, other men are, are the ones who provided for him, gave him food, gave him drink, gave him a place to stay. They took care of them because it's a long journey to get all the way up to Mahanaim, and they were exhausted. And so these men refreshed him and his, and his people. Well, Barzillai is one of these men. And in gratitude for his kindness and loyalty, David asked Barzillai to come to Jerusalem to live with him and to eat at his table, become part of his household. But Barzillai refuses such an honor. Why, why should David repay him in such a way? He was simply doing the right and godly thing by supporting the Lord's anointed king. As, this, as theologian Richard Phillips puts it, though he was wealthy, he was not greedy. And though he was an old man, he wasn't indifferent to the cause of God's kingdom. In David's hour of need, Barzillai helped because honoring the rightful king was the right and godly thing to do. He wanted no reward and he wanted no accolades. He was simply glad that the rightful king was on the throne and now he can go back home and die in peace. Simply put, Barzillai was a faithful man to God and to God's king. And so in response, David kissed him and blessed him, a sign that he was an honorable and praiseworthy man. So you've got four, four different, five different types of reconciliation, and I use that word with quotes. So what does this have to do with us? What what does, do these, these types of reconciliation, what does this teach us today? Well, first, the people of Israel 
remind us that it is useless to attempt to reconcile ourselves to the anointed king, Jesus Christ. Like Israel, we were all once rebellious enemies of Christ, but how were we to be restored to the king? Now, one option, one option is to attempt it through our own efforts, right? That, That if we're just good enough, if I just attend church enough, If I just pray the right prayer, then maybe the king will be pleased with my efforts and he'll welcome me back. He'll forgive my rebellion against him. Or maybe I just need to invite him to come into my heart. Maybe I need to open the door of my heart and ask him to come in. Maybe if I just say it with the puppy dog eyes, figuratively of course, maybe if I work hard enough that that he will welcome me back and reconcile me to him. But the reality is that all of our effort, all of our work cannot mend the rift that our rebellion has made between us and the king. Have you ever seen a little child throw on the puppy dog face to try to influence the parents or the guardian or the person in charge to try to get their way? My kids know. They try that. And it doesn't work. I'm a hard-hearted man, obviously. Well, this is, this is what it's like to try to earn our reconciliation with Christ. If I, just, if I just look the part, come on, Jesus, please, please, please. It doesn't work. Anything that we try to appease the king is going to fall short. And his favor is going to be withheld from us. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? Before we even put on the puppy dog eyes, God saved us. Before we even tried to to be good, before we even tried to attend church enough, before we even prayed a prayer, He died for us. While I hated him, he died for me. While I despised him, he died for me. While I did everything in my life and everything in my effort and try and work and work and work to dethrone him from his rightful place, he died for me. While I was his enemy, he died for me. Now the beauty is that in our greatest moments of despair, when we realize that there is nothing we can do to appease the king, when there is nothing we, we're arguing, well, how do, how do we do this? How do we do this? We're arguing amongst ourselves or we're arguing amongst in our, in our own heads at our greatest moments of despair, God took the initiative. God stepped up and he said, You're right, you can't. You can't appease me. Why would God do such a thing? Why would he take the initiative? Well, because he's a good and gracious king to those who love him. So that's the first thing. Israel reminds us that it's useless to attempt to reconcile ourselves to the anointed king. We cannot do it on our own. Second, through Christ... God calls us to be reconciled to him. David's initiative in contacting Judah 
was also a call for all of Israel to be reconciled to him. And like David, Christ took the initiative, humbling himself even to the point of death upon the cross to glorify the Father and to save his people from their sins. In short, Christ reconciled to God those who believe and trust in him as their king. And again, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our being reconciled to him, then, as his enemies... He comes, He takes the initiative, and then He saves us. He reconciles us to Himself. That is a message to everyone else in the church, everyone else in the world, that if you repent of your rebellion and you trust in Him as your King, He will restore you to Himself. Why? Because He's a good and gracious King to those who love Him. Third, half repentance is no repentance. Has anybody ever heard of the book Halfway Herbert? Anybody? Thank you. There's a few, right? Okay, so, so there's a book that's called Halfway. It's a kid's book. It's not an adult reading book. It's a kid, this kid named Herbert who only does halfway things. So in other words, he only washes one side of his hair and not the other. He only brushes the top of his teeth and not the bottom. So you're kind of getting the hint. He does it halfway, and he thinks that's good enough. And his, his parents are trying to teach him, no, that's not enough. You might have your top teeth, but you won't have any teeth on the bottom. That is not a good thing. You've got to go all the way. You've got to clean all your hair. You've got, you you got to put deodorant in both armpits, right? I mean, you gotta you got to go all the way or it's not enough. Well, half repentance is no repentance. Repentance only out of fear. I'm talking about Shimei. Repentance out of fear and not love for the king leads to death, not life. For Herbert... Half his teeth, yeah, that's, that, that's a pain, but he's not going to die. Half repentance with Christ leads to death. To repent means to turn away from your sinful rebellion, to dethrone your sinful desires, and for Christ to be your king. But half loyalty is full treason. Half repentance is still full rebellion. But, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Those who publicly and unashamedly confess Christ as their king, those who make such a confession from their heart then, that's the belief, guess what? We're saved. Full repentance. Full confession, full belief results in full salvation and a full blessing from the king who is good and gracious to those who love him. So Shimei failed. He wanted reconciliation because he, he just wanted to live. He didn't really care about David. Mephibosheth, though, he was so distraught that David was gone 
He didn't take a bath until David returned. He was so sorrowful that he couldn't go with David because of his physical ailment, that he outwardly, which was dangerous in the court of Absalom, outwardly telling everyone, David is my king. He fully, fully loved David, and he fully repented. He said, this, there were outstanding circumstances, David, but I just want you. I don't care about the land. I don't care about the blessing. I want you as my king. And so David blessed him by making him part of his household once again. When we realize that there is nothing that we can bring to the king, or as theologian Philip says, that we, we can offer to Christ or purchase our way into heaven nothing, there's nothing we can give to earn our way into the presence of the Lord. It should not create anxiety or fear, but joy and freedom. God blesses the church because our receiving that blessing of Himself, of God Himself, we've, we've said this over a number of weeks, when we are made God's people, when we are saved from our sins, eternal life is the cherry on top. The actual wonder and the joy of being saved is that we get God for all eternity. All eternity. Our receiving of the blessing of God himself, our receiving of an eternity in his presence is given to us freely, without any works, without any riches of our own. David showed mercy and grace to the people of Israel, not because they deserved it, but because he was a good and gracious king. And so it is with us in Christ. He pardons us. He forgives us. He shows us great mercy and grace, not because of any good works that we have done, but because he is a good and gracious king to those who love him. Through Christ, our sins are forgiven. Through Christ, we are blessed by God. He, as he did with Barzillai, he kisses us, speaks a blessing over us, declares us honorable and godly and righteous. Because we love him. The original audience of the book of Samuel was the people of Judah. And if we remember from a few weeks ago, Judah found themselves in exile in Babylon because they had rebelled against God. He said, Obey me, or I'm going to send you to Babylon. And they didn't obey him. And so he sent them to exile in Babylon. So they're, they're in Babylon. There's he, they're hearing these words and over and over again, hearing through it, the Lord is good and gracious. The Lord is good and gracious to those who love him. Will you love the Lord? Will you love the Lord? And if you love the Lord, guess what? He's going to bless you. He's going to bring you back. He's going to restore you to himself. How can we be reconciled 
how can our relationship with God be restored? Only by His gracious mercy. Only by Him. He deserves our glory and our honor and our praise. Because by His love, He has accepted us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because he didn't come into the world to condemn a world that was already condemned. He came to save a world. So believe. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. And you will see and experience that he is a good and gracious king to those who love him. And so I'll end on this one question. Do you love him? Do you truly love the king? Father, I pray. I pray that as your people that you would give us a joy and a freedom reminding us who we are in, in your mercy because you are a good and gracious God. And for those, Father, who are putting too much reliance upon themselves, hoping they can earn their way into your good graces. Father, in the end, grace, grace is freely given. It is unmerited favor. So, Father, I pray you would change their hearts, that you would open their eyes that they would experience the grace and mercy that is beautiful and wonderful and glorious that you provide for those who love you and that those that you love. And so, Father, speak to us this week. Guide us. Let our lives as your people reflect the goodness and the graciousness of who you are. And may we be reminded that no matter what happens this week, that it is all for your glory and that you are on the throne, that Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our King, is on the throne ruling and reigning and will for the rest of eternity. And so we have nothing to fear. We glorify you and we praise you this morning. Amen. Let you stand as we sing our final song together.